Well, hey, welcome to the X Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Today is going to be a whole lot of fun. I have Zach back with me in the studio today. Excited to be here. And today is uh, we're in new territory. We're in new waters. We're going to try a Zoom podcast, and we're going to have some fun. And the reason we're going to do that is we are bringing back on... Uh, one of our guest favorites. We've had a lot of guests over the last couple of years, but this is a guest favorite, and that is my cousin, Matt. How's I'm it going? I'm really, really excited to be a favorite. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put that you know, on the resume. You are. People have, have uh, people talk. They're like, man, I love listening to him talk. He's, he's so smart. And I'm like, what about me? You know, I, uh... Uh, I know. Well, yeah, <laughs> something to shoot for and aspire to, Russ. Yeah, it's it's a goal of mine. Um, Only but, one of us is a published author, so that's you oh. got that to hang your head. I, I just want to know: is there any like crazy childhood stories oh, okay. that you can recount? Like, oh, there are wrestling or anything like that. There are plenty. Uh, let's okay. So, um, <laughs> without divulging too much, to have Russ lose his job, um, <laughs> we used to go camping in our backyard, and uh, there yep. are a lot of funny stories mm-hmm. from our uh, our camping trips that's just, that's all i'll say matt uh, was there when i i uh, worked up my courage in fifth grade to uh call a okay, girl for the so, first time so yeah I'll, I'll tell that one really <laughs> briefly uh but there was oh, no. there was a girl in fifth grade that uh russ had a crush on for like a year like all year long it was all ever makes sense. About. Makes sense. yeah and uh he thought he got her number um, but did not have the courage to call himself. So he conned me into calling. Oh, no. And it was clearly the wrong number. <laughs> I, mean, it was, I mean, it was this old lady. As I kept on asking, is, is you know, Amy there? And oh, you have the wrong number. He made me call like 20 times. Like, are you sure that you dialed yeah. it right? He would dial it in. I'm like, dude, I don't know how to tell yeah. you, but this is not the appropriate number. This, I'm sorry, Russ. The whole wait for this podcast today has been worth it for that moment. Yeah, right you know there. what? This I think shows the power of when you block memories out. Because yeah. honestly, I remember the first part of that story and everything you just shared. I had completely forgotten until you painfully I, recounted it. So uh, I'm sorry um, to rehash. Lydia, that. we're gonna have to cut all of that out. Um but uh, no, it's going to be, uh, I think it was spring of last year you came on yep. and we did a, a couple episodes that uh, honestly, I'm not just saying this, a ton of people were like, those were some of my favorite ones we've ever done. So if you missed them, you can go back and watch them from last spring. But we talked about digital media and polarization, digital media and our souls and screens and, and, and all of that. And part of that is along with the PhD that you're in the middle of of getting you which by the way a couple congratulations are in order so you tomorrow celebrate uh your 15 year wedding anniversary that's correct you and, you and Alyssa do so congratulations thank you thank you very much and you are uh done with all of your pre-dissertation classes for your phd and uh, by the way I, I mean i guess we skipped introductions but um if you weren't here, this is my cousin, Matt. We grew up together at Greenville, South Carolina. Um, him and his twin brother um, are only a month younger than me. And so we r- literally grew up together. 
And uh, but Matt is one of my favorite people, you know, not just on a family friend level, but one of my favorite people to sharpen my mind against. I think a few times a year when the world just gets crazier and crazier, we get on a Zoom and uh, you you always have a really intelligent way to look at things and always have an approach and a perspective that I appreciate. And so I thought I appreciate it. And I, I figured with what you are studying um, me and you offline have had a few conversations, and I just thought we need to, we need to get this on the podcast. At sure. least most of what we talked about, we'll probably we'll probably never put on the podcast right. on, on our um, you know. But I, I do think there's a couple specific topics, or at least maybe one today that we can we can dive into, and that has to do with your PhD, what you are getting your PhD in. So uh, could you? I could not even remember the title. Sure. Could, what, what is the title, and what's the gist? So I'm in the dissertation phase of uh, my PhD in uh, educational law. And as I explained to you uh, a couple of days ago, that's a little bit of a misnomer. Um, it's more of a policy degree. And that's one of those areas that, you know, ed- so much of... Was there a subtitle to that? Sorry, not interrupt, because I was listening to last year's and there was a... What well, that was you? just, those were my research interests. Those are your research interests. Okay, Correct. okay. But so, educational you know, law is the actual. What, what you'll find is that, you know, somebody might have, you know, Jonathan Haidt, y'all are reading his book right now. Um, you know, he, he is a, a social psychologist. So, I mean, psychology is going to be what his degree is in, um, but his research fields are, you know, expansive. And so, you know, political polarization is one of them, uh, the origins of human morality, um, that kind of stuff. So, you know, you've got your, your degree, but then you've got your research fields that you specialize in. And so, you know, my degree is, is a policy degree. The title is educational law. Um, but really my research, um, interests mostly entail that intersection between, uh, educational policy, uh, and, uh, digital media. Uh, my dissertation is, uh, a quantitative analysis of, um, Google use on student overconfidence and metacognitive bias. That's uh, what I was thinking about over breakfast yeah. today. I'm sure. I'm sure it was yes, every exactly. every day. <laughs> yes. Um, I know. So here's what I several things. One, I just loved. I just want to bring you on more often because I love to pick your brain. But specifically, what you're studying is one of the many hot button topics of the last few years, which is future of education. I mean, really, like what is? I mean, there's all the kind of conversations on the future of. I mean. Elon is bucking the trend now by saying, no, you can't, you can't work remote, but you, you have all, everything's been up in the air the last few years of, um, with, with how do we respond post COVID to the new world? What's that going to look like? And so part of, of bringing you on is I want to talk about what you're seeing right now, where you see things going trends that are encouraging and discouraging, but I kind of want to start somewhere that I don't want to start, but I feel like current events kind of demand us to start, which is sure. you are in education and one of the biggest conversations right now in the news uh, coming out of Uvalde. And I mean, even 12 more mass shootings this past weekend alone, but specifically in schools, how you are processing uh, the recent events and even just not so recent events of the last 10 years that is increasing 
in school shootings when when you think about school safety gun safety all the above yeah i I sort of thought i might get a question on that from the woke preacher um but uh i'm sorry to throw that one throw that one in um i know you would uh, appreciate that uh yeah you know moderation today is extreme you know yeah i know i know it's just it's wild yeah to be Um, moderate is, is fringe it is uh it is extraordinarily difficult to be in a public uh, school. Um, sort of using it as a jumping off point. Um, you said something during, I listened to the podcast uh, on uh, the shootings that you guys had, I guess it was last week. Um, and you made a comment, um, which I agree with in, in, you know, verbatim, I agree with it, but to sort of push back on the spirit of it when you made a comment about uh, this is not just a school thing this is this happens in churches this happens at uh, walmart this happened this happens all over the place and you're right and and so i don't want to i don't want what follows to be in any way a detraction from that um but there is something unique and particular about school violence um and, you know, an example that I give is that, you know, if I walked into a Walmart and I asked uh, the employees there, you know, what are your, how, what are your concerns or better yet, if I asked you, how often do you worry about, you know, violence in the workplace, um, you know, an honest reckoning would render an answer of, you know, not very often. Uh, because yeah. It just, doesn't, it doesn't happen very often. Uh, if you go to any public school teacher uh, or administrator and you ask, how often do you give even a cursory thought to a gunman being in the school, uh, your likely answer is going to be every single day. I mean, I know yeah, as an administrator, wow. I think about it every single day. Uh, I have been uh, I have been personally threatened. Um, uh, before uh, I've actually had a situation where um, I was at my house. Uh, this did not happen in my current district. I was at my house and a police cruiser pulled up in front of my house to uh, inform me that uh, they had received a credible threat against my life from a student who I had uh, confiscated about uh, $400 and a whole bunch of weed off of um, the prior day in school. And that student was up for expulsion. I didn't know this. That student was very upset at me and uh, had posted on social media a picture of him with his gun in his vehicle. And he was actively looking for me. And he mentioned me by name, literally said, y'all, if you don't want to get hurt, stay away from Mr. Moore. Um, Wow. So, uh, so I've had that happen. I had a situation where um, I got a report that a student had a weapon on campus. I called the student in with uh, our school uh, resource officer and we conducted a search, didn't find anything uh, on him. Um, Later on that day, that same, I'm standing in the doorway of my office, that student approaches me and uh, the hallways had cleared. And so he was the only student in the halls and he's, he's approaching me and he's got his hand behind his back as he approaches me. Um, and uh, to be completely honest, this is a student, I hate to say this, but this is a student who 
sort of fits your stereotypical profile of a shooter. I mean, he uh, had uh, a range of disciplinary issues, had uh, some psycho-emotional issues, um, had been bullied in the past, um, was not quite put together. um, And he approached me with his hand behind my back, hand his his back, and said, hey, Mr. Moore, I want to show you something. And, you know, be frank, my heart stopped. I'm like, this is, this is the moment. Um, and sometimes, and sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it's very real. Like this is about to happen. I mean, I've wow. dealt, I've dealt with, uh, in my, hey, sorry, not, not to, to break the moment. Cause this is serious, but what was behind his back? Was it just a pair of bubble gum or he had a text message gum? from, uh, a friend on his phone. Okay. Um, that he wanted to show me pretty much say the person via text admitting that they had turned in a false report on him to try to get him in trouble, which, I mean, obviously that's a relief, but right. um, like, Hey man, approach me different next time. <laughs> yeah. Like let's not do it that way. Um, yeah. So you, you know, very um, acutely uh, the fear. Yeah. And, and, I th- and I think that's good pushback. I think that's good. Well, I mean, just just to, just to finish my thought real quick, I mean, you know, if you are in a school, you know, um, little things like, you know, if you're a teacher, most districts, they want you to have your door locked. Um, I've been, when I, when I was a teacher before I became an administrator, you know, I would um, some, occasionally get locked out of uh, my classroom. Um, and I locked my keys in my classroom. And every time I did that, my thought was, if there's a shooter on campus, I'm out of luck. Um, I, I don't want to speak for everybody. I don't know um, every profession and what their you know, internal you know, dialogue is. Uh, but I suspect that you don't when you lock your keys out of your office or your you know whatever you you're not thinking about man i hope there's no one gets in the building and starts shooting um that that thought crossed my head every time i I did that Hmm. Uh, every time i'm on campus i look at i really you know i look at a door i really hope that door is locked i really hope that door the the locking mechanisms are working uh appropriately i've handled and investigated dozens of threats um Mm -hmm. on on the various campuses i've been at Mm -hmm. um and so it is always on the minds of educators and so you know it, it, it is an omnipresent thought uh, if you work at a public school because public schools are a reflection of the problems of society in ways that a typical workplace is not. Um, if you think about all any craziness, mental illness, poverty, um, joblessness, uh, you name it, abuse, neglect, uh, public schools distill all of that into one building. Um, it's not a typical workplace. And so it's, it's very unique in that way. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of things that teachers and educators have to process. And I have a little bit of a unique perspective. Uh, my wife has worked in education for the last 10 years and even just this topic around, um, how, how to best handle gun policy and different things like that. It just seems like everyone wants to put responsibility on the teachers. Uh, hey, teachers should carry. Hey, teachers should do this different types of things. And maybe not speaking directly to gun policies, but it seems like 
over the last 20 years, uh, there's been a cry that we need better educators. We need better teachers. We need um, more teachers who are engaged and involved in the classroom, that sort of thing. Uh, and it, it just seems like from my perspective, watching my wife uh, working in the field, that teachers, there's so much that's required of teachers. You think about the standards, the the the, the things that they have to do, and, and a lot of times they're funding things from their own budget and that sort of thing. What have you seen, uh, Just I'm just curious from your perspective, um, over the last 30 years, the demands that we've kind of put on teachers in our education system. Yeah. And you make a couple of fantastic points and uh, I think you're absolutely right. It is not surprising, uh, but it is disappointing that the minute that uh, politics becomes involved in something that the end product ends up uh, becoming uh, worse or at least more complex and convoluted. Uh, what has happened the past two decades is we have embarked upon uh, this teacher accountability movement. Um, and we've been in it so long that many people don't realize that it doesn't have to be this way or that there was ever a time before this. But uh, the teacher accountability That's movement essentially started uh, in the you know, late 90s uh, at a state level and then progressed to the federal level. Uh, by the early 2000s, and the notion being that, you know, there were there were evaluations of teachers, but this idea yeah. that we have to rescue public education by mm -hmm. ensuring that we have uh, competent teachers, and we're, we get the bad ones out, or we train them mm -hmm. up, um, mm -hmm. and literally billions of dollars have been invested in the teacher accountability movement via different evaluation instruments, training programs, professional development, etc. Um, and along with that, oh, my wife loves professional development days. She oh, thinks it's sure. the best thing ever. Yes, that, that P, in in-house PD days are just so. I'm sure they're edifying for her, and she yes. gets so much out yes. of it. Um, yes. But along with all of these dollars um, comes a litany of responsibilities, and we keep on putting more and more on teachers' plates. I mean, if you look at the things that an average teacher deals with, um, IEPs, you know, individualized education plans for students uh, with uh, special needs, 504s, BIPs, those are behavior you know, modification um, type plans. Uh, they got to turn in lesson plans and unit plans. Uh, they're mandatory reporters for abuse, neglect, and suicide. That is law, so they can lose their certificate if they suspect someone might be undergoing any of that and they fail to report it. Uh, OSHA training, so like in bloodborne pathogens, that kind of hmm. that kind of thing. Um, you know, they've got to work on their recertification hours. It's not a one-time deal. You got to take classes and continue to take classes, uh, you know, in South Carolina, I want to say mm -hmm. it's a third, either 30 or 60 hours, every five-year mm -hmm. cycle, um, contact, per, you know, parent contact logs to show yeah. every time to prove that you, you know, at least attempted to contact the parents. Uh, yeah. MCSS, which is a tiered support system because you can't treat all kids the same. And so you have to document your MCSS interventions. Uh, SEL, social emotional health, that is also one of the things that is now. So our teachers are having to have discussions with students wow. now and, and teach curriculum now on their students' social emotional health. Well, teachers aren't mm -hmm. trained psychologists. So, mm -hmm. Um, but there, we, we have nonetheless decided that that is a role that they should, uh, should serve. 
Um, and, uh, and then even just aside from that, and I hate to sound like an old man, and a, like a Scooby-Doo villain, but um, the fact is, is that uh, kids are different um, today. Uh, you know, technology is so good and immersive and is so engaging. Uh, and if you look at the nature of, I said this the last time I was on the podcast, if you look at the nature of what is being consumed by uh, young people, and not just young people, but especially young people, um, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter is 200 whatever characters or less. Uh, everything is about brevity and efficiency. And so the upshot is, is that students are harder to keep engaged now. Um, and so as such, you know, if we're gonna meet students where they are instructionally, then we have to, as instructors be, we, we gotta teach different. And that mm -hmm. means that we've got to, it's very performative. And I guess that's yes. what a lot of, there's a whole lot that people don't get about what, it is, yeah. what it's like to be a teacher, but that performative element is definitely one of it's them. It's big. Well, and I just feel like watching my wife, she got into teaching really with this kind of stars in her eyes. Like, hey, I want to make an impact in kids' lives. I, I want to make a difference. And then you realize when you get into it, and I think that's true of all professions, there's a little bit of reality kind of meets the road a little bit when you step into any profession. But I think that for her, especially in teaching, you kind of step into it like, I want to change the world. Uh, and then it's like all of these responsibilities come crashing down on you. And I, I just, my question is, is this, is this even helping the kids? Like, are we... Are we getting, are our kids getting better? Are they getting smarter? Or are they uh, actually not? Well, so, you know, actually the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation poured many billions of dollars into teacher accountability um, initiatives. That was one of their, you know, reasons for existence uh, the past uh, two decades. And uh, they have had to largely admit that it has not borne any fruit. Um, the fact Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, part of it is some of the stuff I've already mentioned, which is that it is, look, we have to acknowledge a couple of things that some things that are worth learning, there's no fun way to learn them. Some things that are very much, uh, you know, I don't want to say necessary evil, but, but, but they're necessary and it's hard to gamify them um, in any kind of meaningful way. Um, some things you have to, you just have to do the work and it's going to actually feel like work. And one of the trends that I have personally observed with young people is, is they don't want to, again, I don't want to it's not everybody, but it is far more common now is anything that feels like work that isn't entertaining, um, that is not passive, uh, you know, they, they really don't want to do. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's, you know, part of it. The other part of it, and again, I don't want to, you know, put, I don't want to throw parents under the bus, but yeah. I can only report on what I observe is that many, many, many parents um, believe that to be an advocate for their child, that means that they have to uh, protect their child from any failure or accountability. Right. 
Um, and as such, you know, their, their child brings home a bad grade on a progress report or report card. Right. Uh, and then um, immediately the response is, well, what did the teacher do or what did the teacher not do? Um, and, uh, you know, if you look at the effects of that repeatedly over a large enough population, well, eventually, you know, kids, they're, they're smart. I mean, they, they learn from cues. Um, and they figure out that, uh, you know, that it, this is all on the teacher. And so um, it's very difficult to get a student to learn when mm -hmm. they view all experiences through the prism of entertainment. Right. Um, and then also when there is little accountability um, put on them um, at home. And that's just the, that's just something that I've observed you know, repeatedly. Yeah. And what you're seeing really is, like I saw with my wife, she worked in a self-contained ED classroom uh, for six years in the school, which is way longer than uh, like the normal yeah. uh, teacher. And she sacrificed. I mean, she got she'd come home with bruises on her body from these whole lot kids of burnout. Who were hitting her. A uh, whole lot of burnout. Um, she actually works now full-time still uh, as an intervention specialist uh, for an online uh, learning academy, K-12 certified here in Ohio. Um, but she had to get out of the, the active classroom. And I think in a lot of ways, her view of teaching in education is jaded uh, because of that experience and that process. Um, and she saw a whole ton of kids just struggle, I mean, just to get through um, – year to year a lot of times you just kind of pass them on because you don't want to deal with them and i really think it paints a picture that uh, education is not going well right now and so you know we we're kind of open up talking about the future of education so i'm just i'm just curious you, know, you see a lot of teacher burnout happening uh you see this raise in the level of responsibility being placed on teacher where do you see education going in the future uh when it comes to um the way we teach students, um, the way we kind of hold teachers accountable, the way we uh, grade the effectiveness of our education, like when it comes to standardized testing. There's a lot there. What do you, you kind of see? Give me your overall picture. Yeah, so the first thing is that, and I guess this is probably the most important, but is that I don't think your average listener or viewer is aware of the extent that teacher shortages are in the next decade going to be an epidemic. Wow. Uh, it's going to be a systemic major problem just being able to staff schools. Uh, people are leaving the profession in droves. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so we're going to arrive at a point where we literally don't have enough teachers to do to burnout and low pay. Pretty much burn burnout low pay but also quite frankly a lack of respect i mean a whole mm, lot of yeah. kids go home and what they hear from their family is our comments about you know that teacher xyz blah 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 um and uh how it's a teacher's fault uh teachers are lazier entitled or i wish i could get summers off and and, you know, when that is what you are surrounded by, that is going to inform the attitude you have, not just about teaching, but since teachers are the mechanism for delivering education, subsequently education. 
Um, and so that'd be the first thing uh, on, on my radar in terms of the future is I will be very curious to see what states do uh, regarding what is going to be a massive teacher shortage. I mean, I'll go, I'll go ahead and tell you, I mean, we have a couple of programs uh, in my district, um, instructional programs that when our current teacher retires, um, it'll probably kill the program because mm. we literally will not be able to find a teacher to, to fill that void. Uh, yeah. College, like college education programs around here, it's Clemson and Anderson and so on and so forth. Um, Wait, how, how do you say Clemson? Can you teach Zach how to say Clemson? There's a, yeah, <laughs> really depends what mood I'm, I'm in there. Uh <laughs> Inevitably, a P is gonna gonna creep mm. in. Um, Clemson. He's, he's, he says with a Z, a Clemson. Uh, yeah, Clemson. Don't, yeah, don't do Clemson. that. If if you're a good old boy, a P is probably gonna sneak in there. Yeah. Sorry, um, random non sequitur. Did you know, Matt, that um, Zach here met your dad? Oh, that's not surprise me at all. Actually, I, I did. <laughs> so Zach was in Greenville three weeks ago. Stayed with I my was. parents in their basement um, while they were on a cruise. And he was attending Art of Art of Teaching and went downtown Greenville, all the haunts. And he has a funny fun. story about how randomly one day when he walked up to take a shower and walked your dad to feed my parents' cats. And he said it was one of the best interactions ever. My and, dad, uh, can... yeah, he's one of the, like, he, he's, he was in education for a really long time. He still substitute teaches occasionally. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. And yeah, he knows everybody, it so was, that's actually not story. not surprising at all. We can't go out anywhere. If we go out to eat, uh -huh. uh, we went. This yeah. happened just literally last week. Went out to eat with my parents, first time in forever. Mm. Um, and uh, sure enough, Mr. Moore and I turn around thinking that somebody <laughs> for me, somebody for 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 Dad. Um, there you go. So yeah, that, that's not really uh, surprising. And you know, same with my dad. I mean, yeah, really, our family is all is. Um, almost all educators. Your your mother, your father, um, my dad, even my mom was a, a teacher's aide uh, for a long time. Obviously, my brother, my older brother Brad, is uh, he was a teacher and then principal, and now he's a director of uh, elementary education for a school district. Uh, I'm an assistant principal. Um, my twin brother, um, he does, he teaches dual credit, uh, college classes, but he does it, uh, largely at a public high school. Um, so yeah, I mean, so it's something that's important to us. It's very, very important. Uh -huh. And, um, and so you, you have a perspective and so you, you know, we were talking offline yesterday and, and you, you said that you're not, now, you know, me part, part of it's maybe personality wiring. And I do know part of it is you're seeing things I'm not seeing. I'm an eternal optimist at heart. Um, and uh, you told me looking at the education, you're, you're not feeling super optimistic at the moment. And so I know right now you're kind of describing the lay of the land of where we're currently at. Um, but any potential, I mean, what, what, what is there any good, are there any good signs you are seeing? And do you have any predictors for the next five years? I guess a good jumping off point would be to point out that we don't have an education system. That, that is a dead giveaway to me. When, when I hear someone talk about the American education system, that's a dead giveaway that 
at the best, you are um, oversimplifying things. And at the worst, you are speaking well beyond your competency and should not be speaking. Um, uh oh, did I say system? Because you, you have before, it's okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, the a lot of people do called out it, called out we, know, we have this in the united states we have at bare minimum 50 education systems education mm -hmm. is a state responsibility and as such you have at least 50 different education systems and those can vary wildly from state to state but frankly it's even more than that because you know within states you have districts and districts but you're speaking nationwide so you're speaking you're speaking maybe better or be the current climate right current but, but 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 in order to it's difficult for me to talk about the state of education and the future of education in with too broad of a brush because as i was saying i mean you've got a whole bunch of different systems and some systems mm -hmm. are going to do far better than others because some systems are going to invest in public education and they're committed to public education um, they're going to fully fund their base student cost uh, south carolina where i'm at is a state which uh has not not fully funded our base student cost uh, in uh, over a decade, uh, and just passed legislation that is going to strip public education of uh, millions of dollars uh, in favor of uh, you know school choice and, and vouchers. And I don't want to get too bogged down and stuff like that. Uh, but some states are going to be really, really invested and some are not. Then other within states, you, you have a huge amount of variance. And uh, so district to district is going to vary a lot. I'll give you an example policy wise. You know, I'm in a county that actually has five different districts. Um, and this is not a big county. Um, uh, but in my district, when we expel a kid, it's a big deal. Due process is a huge deal. And so, you know, uh, we, if a kid, re we have tiers of offenses, level one, two, and three, based off of their seriousness. Um, once a student reaches a certain threshold of level two or above offenses, they have to be placed on what's called a behavior contract which the parent and the student sign and it spells out, look, if you do X, Y, or Z, this will get you expelled. Once that student commits those offenses, then we will recommend expulsion. Um, and then it's a recommendation because we have an independent hearing officer. And so we will schedule a day where we have an expulsion hearing and we present our sort of like a mini day in court. We present our side the student and their family present their side, they can call character witnesses, et cetera. They can provide evidence. And then the independent hearing officer who is not affiliated with the school district, they will render their decision. Um, if you drive 15 miles uh, up 85, there's a district in the same county, but a different district, it's not like that. The principal says, hey, this kid is a troublemaker and you know they did X, Y, Z, I want them expelled. And then it's literally just the superintendent's decision. Superintendent will call the family and the student into his office and he's gonna make it single-handedly. Um, that's a huge variance for a really important issue that literally the, the delta of 15 miles makes all the difference. Um, and so if you can imagine that difference being represented by 15 miles, imagine 1500 miles, um, you know, 
a million things. Funding, the district I was at in Houston, um, they have not had a bond referendum. And if you not if you don't know exactly what an educational bond is, you know, sometimes you know, sometimes there will be temporary tax increases for particular projects, usually construction of new uh, school facilities, et cetera. Uh, and uh, every single time there's a bond referendum, then it gets passed. I mean, it's been decades mm -hmm. since uh, they had a bond referendum fail. Um, but if you were to go to a different district, it would be a much different story. So it is mm -hmm. difficult to speak in any kind of final way uh, sure. about trends. Um, I am pessimistic in general because um, teachers are fleeing the profession and what I see, and this is purely anecdotal, but what I see you know, on social media, what I hear in conversations is uh, not a whole lot of understanding or empathy about that. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's yeah. a whole lot of, um, they, they knew what they were getting into when they decided to become teachers. It's yeah. a whole lot of, uh, I wish I could get summers off. It's a whole lot of the, um, you know, they feel like they are the clients and uh, therefore the customer is always right kind of kind of, of deal. And so as long as that is the culture and that is sort of the mindset that we are entering into the conversation with, uh, then, you know, quite frankly, people aren't going to want to do this. Um, okay, so then let me ask you this. Um, first, I want to go back 20 minutes really quick because this is the weird way my mind works. Yep. Um, I, I want to close the loop. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but I just want to close the loop for my mind's sake on the conversation we started on, on school safety. And if you can, like 90 seconds or less, what do you think should happen? What would you like to see happen to help increase school safety? So I'm in a school district that has had a fatal school shooting. Um, and uh, so I, I've got to say that a lot of times I hear suggestions for school safety um, that are overwhelmingly already being done. Um, so, you know, right. uh, I was at, I was at my uh, in-laws um, uh, over the weekend and they were going on. We need, we need like uh, electronically locking doors and you have to be, you have to be let in by somebody in the front office. You can't just open up the doors and, you know, we need a school resource. We need a school police officer there at all times and you know, listing all these safety procedures. I'm like, we, we have all of those. We've had all those for years. Uh, mm -hmm. Most, most districts, and again, districts very wildly, but most districts have those things. Um, you know, in Texas, where the shooting happened, um, school districts have their own police force. You know, I work at Fort Bend ISD. Fort Bend ISD, independent school district, have their own police force. Every single uh, school had at least one school police officer. We had three because uh, it was a large school. Um, but so, you know, a lot of the things that get brought up are things that are in place already. Um, and uh, so it, it's hard to, I want to be, I want to be polite. It, it gets very difficult to hear people who have not necessarily been in a school, don't understand how school operations work, 
um, you know, rail about what schools should do when they don't know what schools currently do. Uh, that not that has not just to do with school safety, but in general, I mean, your average person doesn't know what goes on in a school and doesn't know how a school is managed or, or operated. Um, and I don't want to get too. I don't no, you wanna, can go for it. I don't want to get too because too, I don't want to get you. What was a little bit of y'all's give and take? Well, I don't. I don't want to get y'all. I don't want to get you on YouTube as the woke preacher. <laughs> I got a feeling that, that that my comments might. But the fact is, is that if you when you're in a school building and you look at the the population density and you look at um, you know you the bell rings, the kids flood the hallways. You know you got 800, 900, 3,000 kids slammed into hallways um and that's a whole lot of kids with not a whole bunch of space the the details of of the firearm matter um and who is wielding the firearm matters and so i'm totally on board with you know uh making schools safer and the the physical layout as safe as you possibly can um, but the fact of the matter is, is that there is a difference. Um, it, it would take 30 seconds being in a public school to know that, you know, the magazine capacity make, makes a difference, that the velocity of the bullet, the type of, of ammunition would make a difference. I'm not a gun expert. I, do, I certainly don't pretend to be. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I get, I have a hard time taking seriously someone who tries to say that, you know, gun legislation wouldn't do anything to fix any of this. Um, it might not be a surefire fix, but, you know, I, I do know this, that if I walked down the hallways of a public school in a class change um, and I had uh, a handgun, I could do some damage I could do a whole lot more damage with an AR-15 with, you know, uh, high capacity, of, you know, of, of ammunition. And um, yeah. I mean, you just take And that's the problem is a lot of people haven't been on a school campus in years. They forget what that looks like. Um, if you're in a classroom, they are literally sitting ducks in rows. Um, and, uh, so I don't think you can have a conversation about school safety without talking about some common sense ways to, to at least regulate what mm -hmm. kinds of firearms, what kind of magazines, what kind of ammunition uh, is sold and who it's sold to. Um, to me, we, we can do all the other stuff, um, yeah. but but those are the those are some very common sense things that have to happen. Um, I saw. No, that's good. I um, I was looking earlier. Um, it takes about two weeks to get a passport, and like two minutes to get an AR-15. And even just since a lot of um, these massacres are happening with people. That, mental, that are really young in their brains, but then also emotionally are out of control. Even, I mean, this isn't a whole podcast again about, but but even like a cooling off period um, for people. And, and so there's a lot of, 
there's a whole lot into that and I wasn't trying to, but I, I, from your point of view, yeah. yeah, I was just curious. Um, well, well, I mean, so, so just really quickly to extend that first off, it took me six weeks to get my passport. So if you can get your mm. two, you are really doing <laughs> an awesome job. Um, but it is interesting when you look at, I mean, a national, a federal national gun registry seems like that would be a very common sense thing. And that, that is, that is, a non-starter, um, uh, apparently. Uh, I mean, I have to register my car. You know what I mean? I have to pass a proficiency test to drive and operate my vehicle. Um, like you said, it takes, you know, so long to get your passport. It's not two weeks. I, I, if you can find someone who has gotten their passport <laughs> in two weeks, please tell me, because I've never experienced that. Um, but, you know, you, you know, you can, you can get, uh, uh, AR-15 in a handful of days. Um, and I guess the problem, my problem is that it gets framed as um, taking guns. I mean, but when the conversation just gets down to just even just regulating guns, you know, you need to register this, you need to take a class for this, even that gets shot down. Um, so it seems to be a little disingenuous, the objections. Um, yeah. So... And it's, it's, yeah, and either side when this happens, um, we'll politicize the other side or attack the other side yep. if they come up with solutions and say, well, you're politicizing. Yeah. So that's a whole other thing. But here, here's my yeah. question. Matthew Moore, soon to be, I, I guess by the end of the year, I might not be able to text you and say, what's up, Primo? What's up, cuz? It's Dr. Moore. You must call soon me Do be... Dr. Primo. <laughs> Dr. Primo. Um, let's say that the school quote unquote system let's 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 imagine it's a let's imagine this 50 state uh culture of schools is a monolith for a minute okay. if it's if it's a monolith and more money is available to pay teachers better and culture improves in their disposition and respect towards teachers the system quote unquote system itself if it's a monolith is handed to you. We're talking. Let's, let's say. Let's say elementary through high school, because we've not even touched college yet. I don't even know if we'll get there. There's a lot of what I was wanting to ask you. Future of even graduate and postgraduate. But but let's say elementary through high school is handed to you, and you are able to scrap the whole thing and start over. Mm -hmm. Approach to education, um, training of teachers, uh, approach to the future. Um, what would you keep? What would you eliminate? What would you add? So you uh, you started off with pay. So I guess I'll start there. Um, I know that people don't want to hear it, but pay is huge. Um, mm -hmm. I hear sure. often I hear often that uh, teacher pay has flatlined in the past several decades, and that's not true. It's actually regressed. I pulled some numbers uh, just for giggles, and the state of Ohio. Uh, in 1990, um, the average teacher pay was $31,218. In order to account for inflation since that time to achieve the same purchasing power, um, you would need to make um, $69,054. Uh, but the average pay for teachers in Ohio right now is $63,082. So there's a six, so you actually make $6,000 less wow. now. In South Carolina, it's uh, it's even worse. 
Um, Ohio's done a little bit better job of, uh, of you know, boosting pay. Um, and that holds up even if you were to take out, I mean, that, that is with 2022 and obviously we're on, have incredible inflation right now, but it's still bad. It's still regressed if you stop it 2021 when inflation was was at still historical lows and people will realize that the past two or three decades we've had historically low inflation um and so teachers there in terms of actual pay and the purchasing power of their salary um it has regressed the past two decades uh significantly um and so that matters not just out of some you know infantile sense of fairness but it matters for quality of teachers coming. That's mm-hmm. one thing. Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm good at math, right, let's, I'm, I live in the state of South Carolina and I'm good at math and we have several engineering firms around here. I mean, you can go work for Square D, you can go work for, you know, you could go work for Michelin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can go work for BMW. You've got a BMW plant here. Um, you know, there are floor, you can go work for floor. There are a bunch of places you could you could work. If I'm really good at math and I'm trying to map out my career options, and I'm like, I could go be an entry level engineer and go make you know sixty, seventy thousand, depending on the position, eighty thousand dollars a year right out of college, or I could go be a high school math teacher, and depending on the district, I might you know make thirty five. a year. Um, And that's going to also come with all the things, the the responsibilities, the tasks, uh, the accountability that I mentioned earlier, um, and also the lack of respect that I I mentioned earlier. Um, And so it's, it's not... It's not really a question of which one you choose. And so if you right. want to get the best and the brightest and you want to be able to fully staff your schools, we have to raise teacher pay. Um, and this would be number one is that in terms of recruitment and retention, we have to raise teacher pay. Um, and, well, and I guess what I was saying, sorry, maybe this is where you're going. I guess what I was saying, maybe to clarify, I was asking is let's assume that you had to pay to pay teachers yeah. really well. Let's, let's assume they're all making 80000 a year. They probably deserve more. 8,000 a year and respect is raised. What, what you would specifically do with the school uh, approach to education, teacher training, approach mm-hmm. to the whole thing, what would you do? So uh, I would hire more teachers. Uh, class size makes a difference. Um, you know, it, it is difficult to, to teach anything in any kind of engaging way when you've got, you know, 35, 40 kids in, in a classroom, which you know, uh, most states aren't there yet, but if the teacher shortage um, persists, which it will, then that's what you're going to be looking at. Um, so you got to hire more. Um, in terms of training, I think it's important that we we train teachers in. I'm a big believer in uh, accountable talk, which is a particular program, but we have to teach young people how to have high level academic conversations. Um, I hear from teachers a lot that, uh, you know, I ask students a question, they don't even know how to talk anymore. Um, well, we haven't given, excuse me, we haven't given explicit training to kids on how to have conversations. We've always assumed that just they've learned it as they've grown up, but increasingly, 
they students stare at a screen and uh, there is a we've put a membrane up between ourselves and so that that empathy uh, reading facial expressions social cues body language looking people in the eye these are things that really uh, have, have gone the way of the dinosaur but also just the the inability the inability to express myself using evidence the inability to express disagreement in a civil way um, you know these are these are skills and these are skills which uh, have to be taught um, and for all kinds of reasons they're not being taught um, mm -hmm. at home um, and uh, when they're not taught at home, they come with a real deficit in that soft skill uh, on campus and they can't have those kind of conversations. And that's important because we, mm -hmm. are, we, we learn through talk. Mm -hmm. We learn through speech. Um, it's, it's not just a means of assessment. It, it, talk is, is literally how we learn. We're social creatures. If you think mm -hmm. about the real formative educational moments of your life, most of them came from a really in-depth conversation you had with somebody that changed your thinking or challenged you. Um, uh, it probably didn't come from a slideshow. It probably didn't come from a one-way lecture. Uh, yeah. It probably came from talk, from conversation, from dialogue. Uh, and so teachers need to be explicitly trained in that. I also think that we have to be more judicious about our infatuation with technology. Um, Education, I, I have had education as an industry. I've had its back, this whole conversation. This is one place where I will, I will criticize us is we are so fascinated by what the latest and greatest is in terms of educational or instructional technology. And we just latch onto it before we even know how we want to use it. Um, and so when, uh, you know, Chromebook manufacturers uh, started to come offer these massive bundle discounts for one-to-one -one initiatives, we can give every student a laptop or iPads. Um, and so you've got all these districts that have Chromebooks. Every student's got a Chromebook or every student's got an iPad, but we haven't seen any real tangible results in terms of achievement. Um, and I believe it's because we over, we overuse it. Um, there has to be a, there's a, there's a place for them. Uh, there's all kinds of neat stuff you can do with, we have clear touches in, in, our, in our district, which are these gigantic, pretty much like 85 inch touch screens, which students can manipulate stuff on. And, uh, this, uh, we have obviously, you know, building wireless sometimes didn't work today. Um, but, uh, you know, we've got Chromebooks. And those are all kinds of cool stuff you can do. But unfortunately, what happens a lot is the kid enters the school building and they stare at a screen the entire day, the entire school day. Everything they do, the textbook is an e-textbook. Uh, they submit assignments online. Lecture notes are online. Instead of doing uh, class discussions, they'll do like, isn't this cool? We're doing like a, a wall post and we're all, we're all typing our responses and people say that with, you know, breathlessly, isn't that cool? I'm like, that's terrible. Like they're not, they're right there. The kid is right there. Have them talk. Um, it, it, but, you know, we spend hundreds of millions of dollars on these initiatives and so we feel like we have to use them. Um, but the fact is, is that there is a whole lot of, of literature out there that indicates that 
you know, you need time to decompress. You need to have that ability to perform deep, linear, contemplative kind of thinking. Quiet matters. Being unplugged matters. Uh, and so I would de-emphasize the technology piece. Um, the, the pushback is always, well, you know, to be a 21st century learner, you know, you, they, they need to be trained in this, but the, we're not giving them training in that. I mean, that yeah, a student submitting a, a quiz in Schoology or some other LMS, it's not, stop pretending like you're teaching them how to code. You know what I mean? Like you, right. you, you posting your PowerPoint presentation in an LMS is that's that doesn't mean that you are making good use of you know technological resources. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have to train our teachers how to, in terms of the pedagogy of learning with technology, we got to train them better. Uh, but we also have to de-emphasize that we need to tell teachers that that you should have a significant chunk of time each day where uh, your students aren't engaging with technology, where they are doing their own thinking, where talk is actual talk. Um, they might have to actually handwrite something. Um, you know, they might have to read a, a, a words off of a paper page. Um, that is really important. Um, and then I guess the last thing I would do, and there's a million things I could bring up. I guess two more things I'd say it would be, First, standardized testing is the devil. Um, and I, I, you don't hear me speak that brazenly about a whole lot. Standardized testing has helped to, to ruin a lot of public education. Um, if you look at the most successful nations on earth in terms of education, uh, they don't do a fraction of the standardized testing. If you look at the Nordic countries uh, that uh, routinely are in the, in the top of the top, of uh, you know uh, education rankings, they do very little standardized testing, and in fact, they their emphasis, their obsession with achievement data, especially at the early ages, is I mean they, they don't do it. Early age education is about socialization, play, that kind of stuff. The things uh, that will actually filter into your future, help, help you as a person, to create you as a person. That's exactly right. right. Um, I guess part part of my question was. You, you you hit on some of because again I I, I want to overqualify um, that I you know first off to age myself it's been a long time since I was in high school and second off I'm not privy to what educators go through as far as training I'm not privy to like you said I mean I I, I will proudly plead ignorance on what all is going on but um, from my observation from the outside and from when I was in school I've just wondered if and, and a lot of institutions and organizations are taking 2020 through 2022 to kind of hit a reset. And so part of it is, it, it is a time, um, and it, part of this is the eternal optimist in me of, it always starts with a vision, it always starts with a, a dream that seems impossible. But if we were to dream, what would it be like to reimagine education? And part of it is, what does it look like to reimagine it in terms of what people need for the future now? Some of it you said, which transcends time and era, which is, how do you learn people skills? But I mean, part of that is especially now, because like you said, there is a growing, there, there is this growing culture and I'm not picking on it cause I believe in the next generation. The next generation is awesome, but through an over attachment to digital devices, through uh, um, a lack of need to socialize um, eye contact, 
person to person skills and confidence. I almost wonder, like the thing that comes top of mind that might be stupid is, should one if you have six periods, let's say middle school to high school, you have six periods a day. I don't know if they still that's what they still do or not. But if you do, would it not be good to have one of those periods, not as an elective, but as a non-negotiable, be a life skill that's going to prepare them for the future? One of them being, I mean, by everybody, what's, what's the classic, uh, Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people? Yeah. I, mean, well, what, I mean, to me, the biggest thing I wish I had in school is a freaking Dave Ramsey class. Should yeah. that not be, I mean, maybe he's a little too preachy, but a budgeting, preparing for money, learning about credit cards, how to pay your taxes, how to save, I mean... We, you talk a lot about digital media. Would it not be super helpful if everybody had um, at least a some at least half a year, if not a full year, on okay, not an emphasis on technology, but hey, in a world of social media and digital addiction, here's how you're handed this as as an adolescent or as a growing human being. Here's how to manage it and well. Here's some practical handles on how you could um, prepare yourself. Uh, 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 one year would be leadership self-growth what does it look like to john maxwell in an early age and learn self-development and personal development and self like does that make sense like i almost wonder what are the things that that would um that would really prepare people for or even we talk a lot about this i mean going back to coddling of american minds and you kind of hit on this just a minute ago i mean how much of uh of the of kind of the role of educators maybe going into the future is not just as much what to learn, but how to think. Right. Hey, you live in an age of yeah. polarization. You live in an age of echo chambers. You live in an age of thin thinking. Right. And we're gonna we're gonna take a some we're gonna take your sixth period <laughs> this whole year is gonna be learning how to filter and sift through information and data and think critically. Yeah. So I mean, look, I mean, so a lot of that I'm I'm definitely on board with. I mean, if I could require everyone to read John Stuart Mill's, um, you know, he he's got a, a great quote that I'm going to probably butcher, so I'll just paraphrase it. He who knows only his side of the argument knows very little of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, listen, yeah. I'd, I'd absolutely be on board with a lot of that. Um, you know there are a whole lot of challenges with some of of those ideas for instance you know in in my district we tried to start a not a life skills class but a study skills class for all incoming freshmen because high school is different if you if i were to list all the f's for every single course a majority of them would be for freshmen making that transition from middle school to high school, um, it's just different. The rigor is different. The social element is different. Teachers don't look at you as as a child to the extent that they used to. We're trying to grow you into adulthood and accountability and personal responsibility, etc. Uh, and so, you know, we thought it'd be great to have a class uh, that teaches study skills and and how to organize and. Um, and just a, a curriculum that teaches you systems for organizing your efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, the, the pushback from the community was significant uh, mm-hmm. because of GPA wars, because that's not an mm-hmm. honors weighted course. And mm-hmm. so, oh, man. so we and need so, to change our scoreboard. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so you could, that would be an interesting conversation to have as well is, is yeah. how much good does GPA and class rank actually do? Because the kids are, that are at the top of the top, um, 
do they need that number next to their name, whether it be GPA or class rank to actually accomplish what they're going to accomplish? The fact is by virtue of the fact that they would have had that number next to their name, that means they're probably going to be successful, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they, that their learning has clearly taken mm -hmm. place, but, you know, I, I digress on that. Um, but, you know, we, we, ran up against a roadblock on, on that. So, you know, that's not in place. There are some of the things you mentioned are taught, but again, it's difficult for me to speak with any kind of finality because I don't know every single state or district's, you know, mm -hmm. uh, schedules or, or standards. We have a personal finance class in my district. Uh, and a lot of the stuff they do, they, they talk about credit and they talk about interest rates and they talk about financial health and financial literacy in this entire course. Uh, now, you know, it's an elective, but you have to have right. in order to graduate, you have to have a certain number of electives. Um, you know, if again, if we were to require, you have to be really careful as a state, what you say is a requirement. Because so, Dave Ramsey, they literally created a curriculum for um, youth for teenagers now. Yeah, I think, and, I mean, I, I, and, and I'm just thinking, I look at even from a, a political, whatever side you're from, you know, our GDP, like, wouldn't you want every student before they graduate to have to? Right. Graduate I, mean, I, I, I would on. want that. I mean, I, I, I like the idea, but again, I, I, and I know that this is in our hypothetical here, there are no, there are no boundaries that's a difficult exercise for me because people don't realize what we contend with in terms of yeah. uh, political sure. pushback, in terms of mm -hmm. what communities will and, and will not accept. And so, you know, if we were, there's a reason why um, the graduation requirements are what they are. And by requirements, I mean, you have to have a certain number of credits, but then you have a core number of required classes you must take x number of english x number of math so on and so mm -hmm. forth you, you are unlikely to get many things uh, apart from that made mandatory because you are limiting students options they're unlikely to be honors weighted so your high flyers uh, are not going to want to take those um, and so there's just a whole lot of i guess systemic pushback on those kinds of changes. I love the idea. I mean, look, so in a dream world, yeah. I mean, I think- So that, should there be more charter schools? Um, uh, <laughs> I, what I think there should be, there are charter schools that experience a significant amount of success. There are a bunch that fail. You don't hear as much about those because that doesn't pass the political litmus test and that, but- what I would what what makes charter schools successful? What's the secret sauce? Well, it's that they have flexibility. They have flexibility. They're afforded flexibility usually, and again, state by state, this is going to vary. But they are afforded flexibility in terms of instructional program courses um, that that we're not afforded. You know, public education. You know, we're. It, where it's just a different animal, but then also, I mean, you know, I'll make sure I'm careful with how I say this. In public education, we don't get to pick who attends. 
Most charter schools are application-based, even if they are public. Um, and so, you know, and that's honestly, and I don't want to get too much down out in the weeds for this, but that's one of my, one of my biggest problems with voucher programs is that, you know, you're taking public dollars, but you can turn kids away. Right. So, you know, you got a kid that is a severe yeah. behavioral program because they've got an emotional disability uh, or you've got like we have it at my school. We've got a teenager who literally has to wear diapers. Um, you know, we don't get to say, hey, I'm sorry, we can't service you. We don't have we don't have we don't have that ability to provide educational services for you. Um, you know, it's hard to make apples to apples comparisons. We don't get to pick and choose who we provide public education to because public education is public education. Um, so yeah, and I, what I would like to see is you know more flexibility, not just in terms of instructional programs, but I mean, in terms of like money. I mean, a lot of people don't realize, uh, I had a, a parent walk into our building and they saw um, all of our clear touches, which again are these really big uh, touch screen um, uh, TVs that are they're in every single classroom. Um, they're, they've got computers inbuilt into them. And so any, any application you wanna run, you can get an 85 inch version of it, which can be manipulated on the touch screen. It's got almost limitless instructional uses. Um, and so, but they're expensive, obviously. Um, and so, you know, the overheard the parent talk about, I don't wanna hear about, you know, teacher pay when y'all got, you know, 85 inch, blah, blah, blah. They come from different pots of money. I mean, I, we have, I mean, first off we have federal accountability and we have state accountability. We have federal funds. We have different pots of federal funds that are earmarked for different things. We have state funds. We have different pots of state funds which are earmarked for different things. Um, and so I would like to see more flexibility with how we're able to spend money. In other mm -hmm. words, like, you know, like we could fix a whole lot of problems uh, if, if we could have the freedom and flexibility as districts and the schools to, to spend in ways that we think are best for schools. I mean, I've had situations where at a campus, we literally ran out of copies. We, we mm -hmm. got into the year, our teachers ran out of copies, not at my current school. We ran out of copies. But we had in a different account, we had $25,000 for books. We didn't need any more books. Hmm. Right. Wow. So but you have zero autonomy for that. Right. And exactly. And so in terms of just funding, I think a lot of people think that, you know, the state just gives a gigantic check and then these schools just mismanage money. That's not the case. We are told this pot of money from the feds, this can go to X, Y, and Z. And this pot of money, this can go to P, D, and Q. And we don't, we can't take from one and spend on the other. And so that lack of flexibility causes problems. If we had that kind of flexibility, it would, it would solve a lot of issues. That'd be one thing I would, in a, a perfect utopia, hypothetical world, mm. I'd like to see. The last thing I would say would be, um, and we're, we have gotten better at it, but um, 
we're still dealing with the ramifications of poor messaging regarding uh, college and uh, and vocational uh, track. And so, you know, I don't know if you recall this, but I remember coming up through school. I always wanted to go to college. It wasn't a big deal, but I remember starting really with my you know, generation, you got to go to college, you know, this and the new economy, the only way that you're going to ever be able to make any money is if you go to college, you got to go to college, get that degree. And that, and I, I've personally been a part of that as a teacher and administrator, you know, given the company line of you got to go to college and we make kids feel like they're a failure if they don't go to college. The problem is, is that a, that's not true. There are people right. that are millionaires on YouTube for mm -hmm. making videos with their feet or all kinds of nonsense, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's all kinds of ways to make money and you can invent new ways to make money. Um, we live in the entrepreneurial age if we've ever been there. Right, right. And, and so to distill public education down to um, you've got to go to college is a problem Especially since, you know, there's a significant percentage of kids who they get to high school and they realize in relatively short order that uh, school's not for me. I don't want to go to college. I don't, I don't want to do this for four more years. And so if the point of this, if the whole point of this is to send me to college, then I'm not invested in this. And so we just lost that kid, right? That we, we, we have no relevance to, the, to their lives. And so we, another indicator, we need to change the scoreboard. Yeah, yeah, we, we do. Um, and so, I mean, I, I would agree with that. Absolutely. We're starting to get better at that and funding and recognizing the importance of career education. We have uh, in our district, we have uh, AIT is the Anderson Institute of Technology, where, I mean, you can go and, you know, learn how to weld or you can everything from welding to, you know, you be a hairdresser. We, we offer certifications in that uh, to, uh, you, know, uh, mecha, you know, mechatronics. Uh, we've got a great agriculture program on our campus, um, you know, uh, auto tech. You know, you can graduate from high school with a certificate or credential in a career field and you don't have to go to college. You can step out of high school making 50 grand a year and you can go live a successful life. Um, and that's OK. It's OK mm -hmm. to not go to college. It doesn't make mm -hmm. you any less intelligent. Um, I know plenty of people that went to college that. Uh, I don't know how they tie their shoes in the morning. And I know plenty of people that didn't, didn't either didn't finish college or didn't go to college or they're some of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, yeah. And so that messaging got screwed up and we've started yeah. to remedy that, but that's something that we need to do a better job of. I feel like to borrow the immortal words of John Russell Moore, I feel like there's a whole part B of the conversation when it comes to like the future of post-secondary education and college and all those things. And uh, really this is, I mean, for me, it's been an illuminating conversation. There's been so many things we can take apart and learn. I just, before we close, I just have one question I need to ask you. Okay. It's a real serious question. I'm looking over your shoulder at this conversation and I see a book on policy analysis and uh, that just, that looks fascinating, but right underneath that, there's a book, uh, called The Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's a book that's a classic literary work that my good friend, your cousin, has never read. 
before in his life. And he has promised me that by the end of the summer that he would read either Lord of the Rings or C.S. Lewis, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia. Did I say end of the summer? Yeah, no, end of the... I'll mail you the copy. I'll mail you the copy. Yeah, please mail him a copy. You need to correct his ways. Uh, He needs to learn that these are great literary works and that he needs to onboard them into his life. Uh, We won't even talk about Harry Potter because that's on the list too. Uh, I have actually, you're going to be disappointed in me. I have never read Harry Potter. Um, Oh, man. um, I knew you were a wise man. I'm sorry. No, it's great literary works. Yeah, my my kid loves my, my oldest son loves the Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. He, he's obsessed with them. Um, but, well, Matt, Matt, you are easy to have a conversation with. I um, have not reached eighty um, percent of my questions yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we're gonna have to. No, it's 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 good. I, there's, um, I, I want to have a further conversation because there's certain things. Um, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you pessimist, Patty. Um, I'm I, I'm gonna. I'm going to predict that um, with all of uh, our human problems, the human spirit's going to make a way. We're going to get industrious. We're going to get creative. We're going to find a way forward. And uh, there's going to be another industry that um, we create a better future out of in spite of all the obstacles. And I'm just going to say it, and I'm going to believe it. And I also think that the the uh, <laughs> you're, you're I, I don't. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just going to. This is our few, and you know, I, I, a, a future podcast. I want to pick your brain on pessimism and optimism too, because there are a lot of studies out right now that show that um, the you look at Bill Gates, regardless of what you think about Bill Gates, eternal optimist. Did you see that him and uh, was it Rashida Jones from The Office came out with a podcast over quarantine because she was the pessimist and he was the optimist, and he talked about the data of uh, a lot of the people with the highest IQ usually are optimists. You're one of the few hyper-intelligent people I know that is actually, uh, I don't know if you'd self-describe yourself pessimistic, but... I'm not a, I'm not a pessimist. I'm well, really not. Go, go ahead and say uh, it. I'm a realist. Uh, I am. <laughs> I, I see the world for what it, what it is unvarnished. Uh-huh. And, and just, again, make sure we're clear. Bill Let's Gates, see it for what it can be. Bill <laughs> Gates is not single-handedly, but largely responsible for the growth of the teacher accountability movement, which wasted billions of dollars and led, it's a bad example. led to a, yeah. led to the messaging yeah. that all of these problems in schools have to do with deficient teachers, which is mm-hmm. nonsense. No, so, I agree with that. Now, uh, but, but he's also solved problems overseas in Africa and with other things. This is not, this is not, this is not Bill a Bill Gates, Gates defense. This is Russ a, this is, I was given an example of an intelligent person. But anyways, I want to have the optimism-pessimism debate. I'm believing for the future, but I think a lot of things, I think, you know, if you're listening to this, I, I, anything that can build our empathy. So Agreed. if you didn't realize what was going on the teachers are facing, this is a great yeah. conversation to raise your awareness yeah. of exactly what, um, as Matt would say, the school system yeah. is... Uh, <laughs> Is, I'm just the one. what the schools yeah. right what the school and, and and teachers are facing and uh and I, I just think to me um whatever and I love kind of where you're ending at because I really want to talk about I really want to talk about college the future of college I mean right now um you know we've not talked about this publicly but Zach and myself and about five of us we, we invest in something called the art of communication um it's a really expensive thing that we've invested in for the community some of the communicators and and pastors here and we've been taking an hour each week to go through it and it's from earl mcmanus um 
to me, one of the world's premier communicators out in Los Angeles, and he crafted this whole thing over 2020, and it has been incredible. And so, you know, one of the positives um, is we, we, we live in a day and age where if we funnel it right, we have at our fingertips some of the best training. We've got to figure out a way to get some of the best training in the best hands, compensate people well, still create environments where the important interpersonal skills are developed and interactions happen. And I'm I'm believing we're gonna we're gonna find a way forward. But shout out your teachers. Hey, shout out to all the teachers. Uh, you know, this this podcast is accessible, you know, everywhere. But uh, for those that listen that are part of the X, man, we just shout you out. I think coming up soon we have a, a teacher. We have a teacher day coming up. No. Christie's Pizza. Had, what am we, I thinking we, of? We, we had Teacher Appreciation Week a couple of weeks ago, and we gave away pizzas, uh, Massey's Pizza. Yeah, yeah, day. yeah. Um, and we'll probably have something soon coming up for XO. Yeah, please do thank, thank a teacher. They work harder than you know. Yeah. yeah. Te- teachers, and uh, I don't think we said it enough over the last few years, teachers and nurses, they're, they're heroes. Yeah. Um, but, Matt, thank you. Illuminating as always. Uh, Helpful. I, I did my yeah, best. I enjoyed you. it, guys. It and, and, and just to give a teaser, this is why we need a part B. Of all the things that you were pessimistic about, the main thing that I hear people worried about in the education system is the one thing you're not worried about. And I'll just say the words Ron DeSantis and concerns <sighs> about what's going to sneak into the public system. And you helped me. You kind of blew my mind about a month ago, helping me understand how policy actually happens and what school accountability actually looks like and how some of our anecdotal fears are actually not happening yeah. and uh, uh, but anyways I, I promise you we're not, no one's trying to brainwash your kids one way or the other that's that's all i'll say we're we're, we're not in the brainwashing business i can assure you <laughs> matt it's been amazing uh thank you zach and um this is probably one of our longest longest pods but we, we really do need to do a part B. Before the summer's over, let's revisit. I want to talk about um, graduate-level education, some of the exciting things on the horizon, some of the challenges, too, and uh, what we think the future will look like. But thank you, uh, everybody that's joined in. If you're a teacher, thank you for what you do. Um, if you're not a teacher, text a teacher today. Tell them thank you. Buy them a gift card. Don't buy them an apple. No one likes apples. Um, buy them, uh, buy them, unless, unless they're like Matt, buy them an Apple phone and then, um, uh, send them a Starbucks gift card. But Hey, uh, any questions, comments, email us always at podcast at the X church. That's podcast at the X church until next week. We'll see you then.